We're not just talking about something that's going to happen to you after you die. But do you have that resurrection life power of Jesus Christ today? And the reason I've been talking about this so much is because when I look around at so many people today who are in the churches and say, I believe in Jesus, with our lips, we say we believe in Jesus. But with our heart, what we believe in is we believe in comfortable, good life for me. That's what we really are captured by in our heart. And what it really, where it really shows up, where it really shows up is that, that there's a conflict between where our hearts are, are really set and, where, and, the, and the conflict and the hypocrisy that's coming out of our mouth when we say, I trust in the resurrection of Jesus, is where it really comes out is in suffering. That's where it really comes out. When life doesn't go right, and suffering is, of course, a huge spectrum. I mean, it could just be, um, it could just be, I, I didn't get a good score on my SAT. And now I'm not going to get into the college that was of my dreams, and now my life feels like it's kind of failing. It's a form of suffering. Maybe it's not the worst one in the world, but it is a form that it's, it's breaking down. And then, of course, it's, there's far worse than that. I mean, I'm going to talk about today a, a, a medical missionary doctor who has spent his life in Angola. And he experienced a far more terrible forms of suffering right in the midst of an awful war-torn and destroyed country. But whether you're talking about that or whether you're talking about a softer form of suffering that's in our life, and everything in between, whenever this kind of loss and disappointment and something didn't work, and thus it hurts, um, we really don't know how to deal with this. And we don't know how to deal with it and let the resurrection, what Jesus has done for us, which is bigger than anything in this life, I love the first song that Joseph picked for us today. I have found a love that is more powerful than life itself. That is what we're talking about. Is the love of God through Jesus Christ more powerful than life itself? That is tested when your life is breaking up. And so um, today, I'm going to do that in three parts. Part one, the oldness of fallen life. The oldness of fallen life. Part two, dying. And that's really all I'm doing right here. I'm taking you through the gospel in this passage. There's an oldness of people who don't know Jesus. There's dying of people who do know Jesus. And part three, newness of life through the risen Savior, the resurrection power of Jesus. Okay? Part one, oldness of life. It says here that, that in verse 4, it says, Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father so that we too might walk in newness of life. If there's a newness of life, you know what that means? There's also an oldness of life. And you know what oldness of life is? Um, it means living without God, without His hope, without His power, without His presence, without His love, without His mercy, without His grace. And basically, all the people who don't believe in Jesus live in oldness of life. 
And if you want to know anything about the history of the world, pretty much when you open up history books, they barely ever tell you about Jesus, <laughs> which is rid really ridiculous because all the best things in history have come from Jesus. I'm not kidding. Um, all the best things have come fr from Jesus. A lot of secular people today think, oh, equality of men and women. That comes because we're enlightened people. We're better than all the primitive people. You know where that comes from? It comes from the Bible. It comes from the Bible. And that came into history because more and more of certain countries became Christians. And so they actually started discovering things in the Bible. And they started applying them into their society. Secular people today think that Christians are primarily racist. Because unfortunately, too many of our Christian forefathers in America, they didn't repent of that sin well enough. But actually, how did America start conquering racism? Through the gospel. That's how. Martin Luther King Jr., you know who he is? He's a preacher. And you know where he learned how to conquer the sin of racism? From the Bible. So a lot of people don't understand this. But really... Real resurrection, newness of life, it all comes from God. Now, what I want to talk about in this first part of my message is, I want to talk to you about two forms of oldness of life. Okay? And even though many of us believe in Jesus, we're still caught up in the oldness, what the Bible calls the oldness, not newness of life in the resurrection, it still tends to trip us up and we're still mired in it. And the first form is, is easy to talk about. The first form of oldness is, let's just call it, the bad, sinful life. And so that's if you like to sleep around. That's if you lie. That's if you steal. That's if you cheat. That's if you think that um, doing drugs and spending your life doing that is better than getting a job and taking care of your family, and contributing to your society, and taking care of your neighbors, all these kinds of things. And I think pretty much, I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian to know that, that, that that's not a good life. Now, there are people today who are not Christians who think, who cares? <laughs> who cares about trying to be good to your fellow man? That's all just BS and hypocrisy and do-gooderism, because... There's really nothing anyway. All this Christianity stuff, and by the way, all this stuff from all these other do-gooders that say we should recycle and, and we should, and we should uh, and take care of the poor, all that stuff is nonsense. Let me tell you something. Let me say something to you. There's a hard form of people today. There's a tougher, hard set of people today who thinks all this do-gooder stuff is complete nonsense. Because if there's no God, and, there's, and we're just going to live 40, 50, 70, 80, 100 years, then there is no good, there is no bad, there's just your BS, and there's just my BS. And if I want to do drugs, and if I want to lie to girls, or guys, <laughs> to get them in the sack, and if I am going, and it's, by the way, it's a lot easier to steal money than it's ever been before. And so if I wasn't a Christian, this is how I would think. I would think, you know what, why get married? I want to bet as many good-looking girls as I possibly can. I'm not into guys, so, but if you're into guys, I, I don't see why that's a problem. 
And why have a job? Why get A's and B's in school? That's stupid. <laughs> because I know how to steal money. Because identity theft is something that anybody with some real brains can do. And if you steal enough money, then all you got to do is be on the run. You just got to move to another country so you don't get caught. So all the rest of you chumps, and that's what you are, you're just a bunch of chumps who believe in this God nonsense. And by the way, all these secular, idiotic do-gooders recycle. <laughs> recycle? That's stupid. <laughs> who cares what the earth is going to be like 50, 100, 200 years from now because I'm going to be dead. So as long as I've had fun, as long as I have my money, as long as I have my good life, who cares? So all this stuff about the bad, sinful life, it's idiotic. So most of the people think there is such a thing as a bad, sinful life. But the really hardcore atheistic people who think all that stuff is nonsense, you know what I think? I think they're smart. They are smart. Because if the gospel is not true, then they're right. And all these secular people today who think that we should take care of the poor, who cares about the poor? I'm sorry that people die of AIDS in Africa, right? But they're just unlucky. I'm healthier. I live in a better society. I'm going to rip people off. I'm going to get mine. And there is no God. There is no hell. There is no right and wrong. So that's this nonsense thing, too. A lot of secular people today who think, here's right and there's wrong, but there's no God. And so when I ever think about this, on what basis is there a right and wrong? On what basis should we take care of the poor? On what basis should we either vote for this guy or that guy? Who cares? The only guy I'll vote for is the one who'll stay off my back. That's it. So even though some people say this is a bad life, I actually think if you're really serious, if you really think about it, if you're really logical, there is no bad life. But most of us, and here's what the Bible teaches, there is. And most people know that people who act like that, well, I don't want to say the word, but they're a-holes. And they do belong in prison. And they do deserve to be despised. And they don't just deserve to be despised because, because it's inconvenient to me, because it's really inconvenient if somebody steals from me. You know why they deserve to despise? Because they deserve to go to hell. That's why. That's why. That's the answer the Bible gives. The answer the Bible gives is the stakes of good and evil is salvation and damnation. That's what the Bible really says. And you know what? Everybody believes that. Everybody. You know what? Most atheists, they think, you know where they think Hitler is? If Hitler just died and his body just decomposed, and then he just disappeared, that wasn't good enough. You know what we really want? We want Hitler to be burning. Because that's what he deserves. And that's where he is. Because God is good. Whenever I see somebody being really evil in our society, I just think, oh my gosh, you are such a horrible liar. Sometimes I, I don't know if, if, if those of you guys who aren't, you don't regularly listen to me preach, um, 
for those of you in the EM, you, they know that I think this way. Whenever I watch a movie, and in, in every movie, there's always some bad guy, and you always go, oh my gosh, I hate him so much, right? Whenever there's a bad person, let's say there's a child molester in a movie, I always turn to Grace and go, I hope there's a happy ending. And you know what I think he means? You know what I'm saying to Grace? I don't want that guy to be arrested. <laughs> By the end of the movie, I want that child molester to die a horrible death. <laughs> I want him to really get a horrible death. And if he does, I'm like, happy ending. <laughs> and you know what? If you're not righteous, and if there is no grace, gracious salvation, there is a happy ending. But it's not happy for those who live a bad, sinful life. It is not. That's one kind of oldness. Let's go to a second one. Okay, now let me get after most of us, okay? Most of us, you don't think of this as the bad old life, but it is. What it is is what most of us want is you want the perfect good life. That's what you want. All of us want the perfect good life. And if Jesus is there, yeah, that's kind of helpful. The part I want Jesus there for is the part that I don't want him to go to, I don't want to go to hell. But if Jesus is around today and he's trying to help me, um, you know, get off the porn or be more generous with my money or forgive that friend of mine who backstabbed me last year. I mean, um, gosh, that's a really annoying savior to have around. I mean, you have money, you see the, the, the homeless guy on the street, and you're like, come on, Jesus, I, I don't want to help that guy. I mean, he's probably a drunk, isn't he? Do I have to help him? I mean, that's a really annoying Savior to have around, isn't it? Most of us, we want a perfect life where there's no inconveniences, and certainly there's no suffering, and there's no loss. That's the one we're fixated upon. And let me tell you something. This is the oldness of life. This is the oldness of life. Um, for those of you in the English ministry, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. This is the fourth sermon in the series. This fourth sermon is the same sermon as the first sermon. I've been preaching the same sermon for four weeks. I don't know if you've noticed that. I've been basically hammering the same note for four weeks. And I'm preaching it with all my heart. Because I believe this is where we're stuck. This is what makes us suck. We just want this perfect life. For some of you as are younger guys, it's like this. If I don't get the certain SAT score, oh my goodness, I'm going to go to this school. I'm going to have to go to this school, not that school. You have this idea that if I have to go to this tier school, then my life will turn out great. But if I go to this tier school, oh my gosh, my life is over. Let me tell you, if you think that way, you're completely idiotic. <laughs> and that is your sin. And you believe in idolatry. Please, die to that. You'll be liberated. It'll be great for you. It'll, really be, it'll be great for you. But for some of us, it's not about school. It's, it's about my look. That's why your hair has to be a certain way. Um, you know, this, uh, this morning, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. I decided I want to put on my, on my favorite suit. My favorite suit is 17 years old. That's why it's like an awesome suit from the 1990s. 
Okay, this is like, this was, little, this was an awesome suit in the 90s, okay? Double-breasted from Nordstrom, okay? Um, actually, just wait a little bit, it'll all come back. <laughs> and when the double-breasted suit comes back, you will know, hey, Pastor Susan brought it back. <laughs> but when I was putting on this suit, it's a 17-year-old suit, so the pants were, were tailored for me when, when I was 26 years old, because I got this before I got married as a, as a wedding gift. And when I was putting it on, um, I was thinking, oh, man, I'm a little fatter now. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if, so uh, the, the, the top button isn't actually on. <laughs> so I just tightened up my belt. And I, I, I wore my, my tie a little long, so you, you can't see this, okay? But this is what we're doing. <laughs> so I'm just letting you in on a little secret there. But some of you are going to go home, and you're going to think about this exact same thing. Because your, 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 your waistline is very important to how well you're perceived, so you can have your perfect life, right? People pay millions of dollars for these strange contraptions that are sold at 2 a.m. Just try it. If you, I'm an insomniac, and every now and then I actually watch these commercials. I'm sitting there watching this commercial going, so if you take this weird thing and you go like this, and you pay you know, $25 for it, money-back guarantee, of course, then you'll be really skinny just like that woman on there, and you'll be hot and you'll get the perfect life. Come on. This is the oldness of life. I'm not saying you shouldn't care about your weight. And I'm not saying you shouldn't comb your hair. I'm just saying this can't give you your best life. That's why I don't care if my suit is 17 years old. I, 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 even, I even turned it into a, a sermon illustration. Huh? If this is the kinds of stuff, my job, my money, my car, my success... My looks, do I get that girl, do I get that guy? Oh my goodness, that guy, he stopped looking at me. Oh my goodness, my life is over. It's not over. <laughs> this is the oldness of life. It's the oldness of life. There's something far more beautiful and glorious on the other side of the cross. It's called resurrection, eternal life. Let's go to part two of my message. How can we get past this? If I tell you, just stop being so fixated on this. Just stop being so fixated on your grades, on your looks, on your car, on the perfect life. You know what? It'll go in one ear out the other. You're going to walk out of this church. You'll be just as greedy, just as insecure, just as vain, just as grade-grubbing. That's one of, one of my teachers. He, he, that's what he called it. He called them grade-grubbers. He hated grave grubbers. <laughs> he says, I actually want you to learn literature. And there were 30 kids in the class, in this AP English class, and we all thought he was crazy. <laughs> it's like, who wants to learn literature? <laughs> I'm here for an A, man. <laughs> That's what it's about. And he hated grave grubbers. If you're a grave grubber, it's actually, that's sad. <laughs> but... If that's how you, you're going to walk out of your I say, just stop it, stop it, stop doing that. It's not going to work. You know what has to happen? That whole thing inside of you 
that you, because that's who you are, this person, this is my life. You know what has to happen? It has to die. And that's what it means. Verse 5, if we have been united with him, if you believe in Christ, you trust in the gospel, you don't just believe in some idea, you're united to Jesus. And I know it's a very mysterious thing. When he died on the cross, you died there with him. And you know what died with you? All this, this oldness, this perfect life where Jesus is largely irrelevant. It's like, the only thing I want from you, Jesus, is to just, I'll just give you a few lip service, and will you help me out when I need a good job? Help me find that girl of my dreams. Help me get into the college I want. And then at the end there, you can show up and help me out on Judgment Day. If that's the only Jesus you want, that's not the gospel. The, the gospel says we were united with him in a death like his. So this so-called perfect life could die. Um, I want to talk about something that I've, I've, been, I've been noticing in our culture a lot. I'm very concerned about this. And so I, I love that uh, our younger brothers and sisters are in the room today, and especially those of you who are parents. Um, we have some very new parents. Um, congratulations. Um, so you want to listen to this. Uh, as I look around in our culture today, as our society has gotten richer, and America has been bubbled off from things like war. I mean, I mean, the war doesn't come touch us. The, the only thing that touches us is we get really inconvenienced when we have to get on a plane. That's about as bad as it gets for us. And then we just ignore the, the news until the next president sees. Right? But, but as I look at a lot of the young people today, we really don't quite have the resources to live in this world. Um, our assistant pastor, Pastor Young, his wife, Christy, a number of you may know this, she, she's a therapist. And she has this really um, tremendous training on how to help people when they get into things like depression, addiction, and certain things like this. And she, you know, currently she is in Southern California, and a number of her clients are rich. I mean, she tell, so sometimes when I hang out with uh, Young and Christy, she will, we'll start talking, we'll start comparing notes. So I sometimes feel like, so Pastor Young and I are pastors. We're, we are, we of course are always trying to minister to people that are hurting and broken. Guess what? She does a similar thing, except she does it through therapy and counseling. Some, a lot of her clients are loaded rich. So they have, done, they have every means to have made their life perfect. And they live in the super sunny place in Southern California. They live in all the fancy houses. They have everything. And then, you know what they've done? They've raised their children to have a perfect life. And so they've done everything to make sure that when their child falls down, oh, no, oh, little Johnny, let me help you up here. Oh, and then I'm going to give you everything you need for your schoolwork. And then I'm going to make sure you everything that you'll, you'll never be hurt in this life. And then they have everything they can so that their, their children can grow up to have the perfect life. The perfect schools, the, the perfect grades, 
the perfect friends, the perfect future. You know what happens to them when they get into their teen, when they get in their 20s? Real life hits them. And they find out the real life is filled with disappointment. And they find out that people are selfish and hurtful. And they don't always get their the perfect grades or the perfect school or the perfect job. And you know what happens to them? They end up in therapy because they don't know how to deal. Christy's told me about people who are 16, 20, 22, who are in therapy because so far everything in their life has been so-called perfect and now they're in real life and they don't have mommy and daddy to helicopter and hover over them to make everything perfect. And you know what? They're depressed and angry and falling apart on the inside. And you know what I hear from that? When I hear that, it breaks my heart. And when I look at our generation, so many of us in this room are immigrants or children of immigrants. And we came to this country to get the perfect life. But if you have the perfect life without a Savior who has died and gone to the grittiest, deepest, most painful parts of life for us so that we can die with him, then, but we're going to just have a perfect life and we don't need this Jesus person, then, then maybe this is all we get. This is what I'm afraid And so when I look around, all the helicopter parents, and me and my wife, we have have issues with that too. Hudson, sorry, we we helicoptered you a little bit. Um, Laura, sorry, we helicoptered you a little bit. Um, We're trying to repent and let you go. Moms and dads, you know what needs to happen? The perfect life in your mind that you're going to have for you and for your kid, let it die. Let it die. Ask for the life from Jesus. And the life from Jesus, he'll allow there to be some hurt and suffering and disappointment in it. You know why? Because it's real. But he'll be there. Us too. All of us. You young guys, let me ask you. Tell your parents, stop helicoptering me. (laughs) And then go out there. This is a piece of advice I want to give you today. Go out there and don't be afraid to fail. I'm not kidding. Go out there and don't be afraid to fail. Go sing this great song to this girl that you really, really like. And if she won't give you the time of day after that and it rips your heart apart, do it. (laughs) do it (laughs) I I promise you you will live on the other side of it I promise you do it and try go study that thing that you think oh if I go study this thing then I won't make any money in the future go do it (laughs) just let that perfect life whatever you thought your perfect life just throw it away it's stupid (laughs) it's crap Just throw it away. Whoever the heck you are, let God shape you. (laughs) 
Let God shape you, let lead you, including if it hurts, including if it, if it drops out, including if it, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's part of it too. If we've died and all these little perfect dreams have died, you know that's all that's left? A savior that's gone to the most horrible place and he says, I'm still here and I have a better plan for you. I'm going to close my message with the newness of life. In Romans chapter 8, it says that before you were ever born, if you believe in Jesus, if God has graced you to draw you to himself, and if you're even remotely attracted to anything I'm saying today, you're being attracted. You're being graced right now. Right now. By God. Not because I'm, I'm whatever, because I'm a good speaker, but because God is drawing you to himself. And it says in Romans 8, that when, before you were ever born, his plan was to conform us and make us into the image of his son. And the image of his son, Jesus wasn't somebody who came into this, oh, I'm going to get the perfect life. Did you notice Jesus didn't have a perfect life in our standards? He lived a very strange life. He lived among poverty. He invited people with a lot of messed up stuff into his life, and he would laugh and talk with them. And do you notice all the people of his time, called the Pharisees, who lived the so-called perfect life? Did you notice he, he pretty much hates them and dogs them? Wow, that's a strange person. He, dis, he upsets them and disrupts them. And we were made to be like that. Today, we were made to live a stranger kind of life get right into the suffering and into the poverty and disrupt the perfect pharisaical life. Um, there is a, 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 a person, so thank you, Norman, for this illustration. I, I didn't have one until yesterday. <laughs> and um, our sister Norma shared an article from the New York Times, and this is the way I close my message. There's a, there's a big-time writer named Nicholas Kristof. He's one of the regular columnists for the New York Times. I think his background is in medicine. I think he's a doctor. He does not believe in Jesus. He's secular. He's very well-respected. He's at the top of the peak. I mean, if you get to write regularly for the New York Times, I mean, you're at the top of our culture. You really are. I mean, you've really made it. And he wrote a really intriguing column. And here's what he wrote. He said, hey, there's a lot of people today who think Christians are just bigoted against homosexuals, that they're all a bunch of hypocrites, and they believe in a stupid worldview. I mean, he didn't say it quite like that, but that's basically what he's saying. But you know what? I know, I've actually met Christians who are far more intriguing and far more challenging and people that I deeply admire. And he shared about one of them. And the guy's name is Stephen Foster. And Stephen Foster has spent his adult life in Angola. Angola is one of the most <laughs> wretched countries on this planet, quite frankly. They, got, they have people who come around and shoot other people 
kidnap, sell them off to slavery. They have AIDS. I mean, it's a really dysfunctional country. They have poverty and death going on there. And Stephen Foster is a Christian. And he said this. He says, of course, there are certain non-Christians around the world who are doing this hard kind of work. I mean, he's a doctor. He's a medical missionary. He takes care of people and shares the gospel. That's what he does. He says, and of course, there are are non-Christians who are doing this. He goes, but let me, because a a very huge proportion of them tend to be evangelical Christians or nuns and priests. That's what he said. And I think that's absolutely true. I don't think all these secular people understand that the majority of the people in the world who are in the toughest places like this, why would you do that? Unless something inside of you has died and a new life is risen. Hmm? And here's the part that, that really moved me. So this is Dick, Nicholas Kristof. He's lived his whole life there. He says, by the way, this is where Dr. Foster raised his family. So he raised his family in Angola. One son contracted polio. A daughter survived cerebral malaria. So this guy went to go love the most desperately poor people, and his son got polio. His daughter almost died from cerebral malaria. He literally almost sacrificed his children to love people this way. And the family nearly starved when the area was besieged during war and Dr. Foster insisted on sharing the family's rations with 100 famished villages. So he barely had enough food for his family. But there's 100 starving villages. So why don't we give them our food, even if that means we'll be hungry? This created family tensions at times. Wow, that's an understatement. I could see my wife yelling at me if I wanted to give the food that our hungry children need to our neighbors. But listen, this is the part that moved me. But today, the kids speak glowingly about their dad. For a while, I blamed my dad and his high-risk dedication to others, said Rob Foster, the son with polio. This guy's got polio. Today, I no longer feel that like that. I am no longer bitter or resentful. If me getting polio meant that thousands of lives are either saved or immediately improved by my father's work, so be it. Do you hear that? Rob Foster, at one point of his life, was resentful that his father took him into a place where they had to suffer in order to love other people. But now that he's older, he said, you know what? The suffering was worth it. If I had to suffer so that we can love these people, so be it. It was worth it. You know what happened in him? His old perfect life self died. And a new life, newness of life came out. This guy gave his son newness of life. That's what I want. I think more than anything in my life, 
That's what I want to give to other people. And I realize I can't just do it unless we can, because we're so blind, if everything is so-called perfect on the outside, they can't see it. But if we hurt, if we even have polio, but we have powerful life on the inside, then they can see it. See? And let me tell you, just as I'm going to close this message, there was another conversation. There was another conversation between another father and another son. Here's how the conversation went. Son, I want you to go into that neighborhood. It's a horrible ghetto. Everybody in that neighborhood is dying. Everybody in that neighborhood is selfish and horrible. I want you to go live there. And then they will kill you. But if you die, they will live. You know what that son said? Dad, send me. That father and that son came into this earth so that dying people can have a better life than our perfect life. We can have a resurrection life. That's what today is all about. That son, of course, his name is Jesus. And that father, he's God. Easter is so that we can become like that father and like that son. And we can live a far better life than the so-called perfect life. Because the perfect life is probably just end up you, you end up with either resentment or anger or fear or therapy. Is <laughs> having real powerful resurrection life the kind of life that goes on and on forever and ever into heaven. Let's pray. Father, um, we think we're nice people. And because we're nice people, we're going to live this really nice life. And Jesus, you'll be a nice Savior sitting in the corner, and we'll pull you out like a Band-Aid, when we need you, forgive us for this pathetic thing that we call faith, which isn't really faith. It's actually unbelief. We thank you that even though we're wretched like this, you came into our neighborhood. You were one greater than Dr. Foster and his son. And I pray, Lord, that we would run to you Father, you would turn us into fathers and mothers like you and Jesus because our life can die with you on the cross. You can give us your life. And we won't be afraid of disappointment and of failure and of hurt. And when the hurt comes, because it'll come, we'll take it on and face it with you. And when the good stuff comes, so-called good stuff, we'll know it's not as good as what you have planned for us. And therein, we'll live the deep and most powerful resurrection life. We thank you for giving us this life, far better than the one that we could want for ourselves. Bless us now as we go to your table in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask um, our brother...
John and Pastor Young to come up and help me 